Bibles to Revelations chapter 20. As we continue to speak on what Jesus speaks about, how would you like to hear something that Jesus speaks about today? How many people like the teachings of Jesus Christ? All right. So we're going to find out another one which we've been speaking about as soon as I can find it here. Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 11. Hell, the second death. Let's read together. The Apostle John tells us, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and the sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they have done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they would judge each one of them according to what they have done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that's always illuminating, always challenging, always encouraging, Father God, never threatening to the saint, Father God, but always edifying and strengthening, illuminating, challenging, Father God, setting us at edge at times, Father God, and causing us to think through the faith, Father God. I pray, Father God, that we can do some justice to this doctrine today. I pray, God, that we can do some justice to this text today, Father God, that it is a trumpet sound for all the saints, Father God, to understand the justice of God. And for all those who might not know you here today, Father God, let it be a stern warning and an invitation to come to a loving Savior. Father God, we bless your presence today. Be here amongst your people. In Jesus' name, amen. As we've been speaking about uh, this teaching about hell for the last couple of weeks anyway, I spoke about it from two weeks ago from the perspective that this is a drama, uh, a courtroom scene is what we have just read. I mentioned this two weeks ago. It's a courtroom scene. Uh, and it's, 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 it's strong language. The Bible doesn't hold back the graphic nature when it comes to this doctrine. It, just doesn't, it doesn't hold back the graphic beauty of heaven as a paradise, as a garden with the tree of life and the river of water of life. And we see the face of God, you know, and it just stirs up the heart and the faith of the Christian to know that they've done the right thing, they've come to Christ, and there's a sweetness to it, there's a living hope uh, with that, but also with with hell and the reality of it, it is a place just like heaven, it is, it's a, a miserable, miserable place, but it is real, and so as we speak on this subject, it challenges all of us, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, it's very, very challenging. And really, no one should step into a pulpit to speak about this unless there's really been seasoned by the grace of God. And it's truly a solidarity with all humanity. It's not us against them. It's not the Christian against the non-Christian. It's not the saint against the sinner. 
You know, we got to be very, very careful of ever that kind of emotional state of mind entering into when we speak about this doctrine. We should be extremely grateful. And there is really no greater saying, as, as they say in, in many of the 12-step programs, but by the grace of God. It, it applies nowhere else more graphically. It is the quintessential uh, expression of, but by the grace of God, there, I, there go I. It's by God's grace we're not going there. We deserve it, and we're not going. Christ took it for us. So when we start to teach on this, we keep all the emotions out. This is not an emotional doctrine. This is not about to stir up fear. It's not about feeling uh, vindicated, like, yeah, the bad guys are finally going to get it. You know, this is, this is really, this is a, this is, it's, it's too serious to take lighthearted. It's too serious not to saturate it with prayer and many, many tears, knowing that this is the final reality of most humanity. It is spiritual ultimate reality. Whether we can see it, touch it, feel it, whether we can be indifferent to it, we can forget about it, we'll let others think about it, Understand something. Hell is being filled as we speak. It needs to be dealt with prudence, sensitivity, and faithfulness to the text. Always with a genuine concern. And like I said before, a solidarity with the rest of humanity. That we we truly care for them. But it must be taught. It must be taught. The modern mind easily dismisses uh, this teaching, this reality, because it, it basically seems foolishness. Who would think of such a place? I wouldn't. I'm going to be honest with you. I wouldn't think of this place. God teaches me it's real. And like heaven, it's a revelation. I would have no comprehension that this place is there. I, I couldn't go there in my mind, nor would I want to. But the Bible brings me face to face with it. Just like it does bring me face to face with my own sin and my own guilt. And brings me face to face with a, a savior that took my sin and took my guilt and took my curse. Uh, many times this could be highly agitating to people uh, who don't believe it and, and even persecute the Christian or the Christian church that teaches it. Uh, understand something. Hell is, is not a place of uh, of torment for torment's sake, because God has nothing better to do than torment souls. This is about justice. And we spoke about this two weeks ago, and I can't go through it all now, but if you didn't, weren't here two weeks ago and you haven't heard that sermon, I ask you please to listen to that sermon, because it goes about standing before the judgment. It's, a, it's, it's a, not just about hell, it's about what happens when someone stands before God and why this takes place. I will be speaking about the place, hell, today uh, out of the scriptures two weeks ago we spoke about an unbeliever standing before the judgment seat of God outside of his element and and that's me the the sea and the earth have fled away people are standing before God with nothing familiar around them at all but the judgment seat of God outside of their element outside of their comfort zone Outside of anything real they've ever sensed. 
they will stand before the presence of a holy God. It's a serious, serious time. Listen to the cuckoo bird. I used an illustration a couple of weeks ago, and, and it's fitting to use it again. The illustration was this. How many people like the crime shows? I like CSI. I like Law and Order. I like Law and Order Intent. I like that criminal intent. I like uh, uh, Forensic Files is one of my favorite ones. And, and I enjoy that kind of case. I, I enjoy Cold Case. And, you know, and, and at the end of all this kind of uh, uh, criminal uh, investigation, and they catch the bad guy, and I won't go through it all again, it, you know, it's like there's a sense of, yeah, they got the bad guy. But there was twice on Law and Order, I think it was twice, maybe three times, I'm pretty sure it was twice, that everybody knew the guy was guilty. The judge knew he was guilty. The prosecutor knew he was guilty. The attorney knew he was guilty. The jury knew he was guilty. Uh, everybody in TV land knew the guy was guilty. But because of some kind of technicality, guess what happened to the guilty guy? He gets off. And, it, and it's, it, there's a, a sense of justice that cries out, how can that be? We want blood. We want the bad guy to go away. We want justice. This is a cry of justice. America is basically going to war again because we saw videos of two men being beheaded. And, and what did that do for everybody in this room? That's why we're back there again. We don't want to go back there. The president doesn't want to go back there. Politicians don't want no more of it. The conservatives don't want no more of it. The liberals, we're all tired of it. But there's an outcry. We have to do something. They're killing Christians. They're killing innocent men. They're killing innocent children. There's an outcry of justice. Justice is there for all of us. So please understand that when we speak about hell, what we just read in verse 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15, that is God's justice. Every cold case will be reopened and closed on Judgment Day. There will be no charismatic uh, attorney twisting the truth to get somebody off with some kind of star witness or technicality. There's no circumstantial evidence. The books are open. The evidence is absolutely clear and it's condemning. It's self-condemning. When someone leaves the presence of God on that day, they will know they are without doubt guilty of every crime against God. And they will know they deserve what they're getting. But they will hate it for eternity. Make no mistake about it. No one's crying, I'm innocent in hell. There is no atheist in hell. There's no good person. There isn't. God didn't make a mistake. It is serious business. And I speak with a serious tone because to tone it down would be for no reason at all but to do an injustice to this reality. It is real. As I spoke about a couple of weeks ago, some Christians won't even teach on the subject. I shared an example of a Christian pastor I know well, respect him, 25 years and more in the ministry, and he's never spoken a sermon on hell. We were out having dinner one night, me, John, and, and, and a couple of the ministers. 
And we were speaking, and I don't know what the conversation just came up, and I said, yeah, I was doing a sermon on hell and so forth, and the gentleman said, you know, I never taught on that. But he didn't say it in, oh, in a matter-of-fact way. It was almost, oh, I won't teach on that. That's the way I heard it. Like there was some kind of profound wisdom uh, in not teaching on that. I never asked the issue. I never pressed the issue. It was kind of like, why? In hindsight, as I reflected on that dinner that night, I was like, why wouldn't anybody teach it? And, and it comes to me, you better believe there's fear involved. But there's more than something more cunning than fear. It's a misunderstanding of the doctrine. If you don't really understand the holiness of God, you won't go near this doctrine. But if you truly respect God in all his goodness, all his glory, all his attributes, understand something you have to teach on help. The wrath of God. God is not wrath. God, the Bible says God is love. God is love. So where do we reconcile this wrath? And, and then Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 1 that wrath is a response to man's sinfulness. His deliberate suppressing of the truth through the law of Moses, conscience, reason, and nature. Mankind willfully, in his heart of hearts, suppresses the truth of the reality of God and their accountability to him. Only God knows the depth of this. But we were all there at one time. And if you're honest enough, even as Christians, we can self-deceive ourselves and suppress truth, can't we? Who in this room hasn't suppressed the truth? Who in this room is a Christian saved by grace that knows they're breaking rules by God? I do it all the time. Thank you, brother. (laughs) But it is truth. There's a truth to that. There's a truth to it. We know the best. We know what's true. But more important is our personal growth. And that's what I'm concerned about here. And I know John, speak for, for John also. We're concerned about a true understanding of the nature and attributes of God. A true understanding, growing in the knowledge of God. That's the way Jesus taught. That's the way the apostles taught. That's the way uh, the prophets of the Old Testament taught. Uh, a New Testament church of grace that's not teaching along these lines is missing something. They're doing an injustice to the nature and attributes and glory of God. And they're doing an injustice to the minds of God's sanctified saints. It's an injustice. It's an injustice to send a child to school and not teach him math. It's an injustice to send a child to school and not teach him how to write, how to read and, and, and grammar. It's an injustice to send a child to school and not educate them. It's an injustice for a Christian not to grow in the grace and the knowledge of their Lord Jesus Christ. It's an injustice for a minister to think that the Holy Spirit cannot drive home into the heart and mind of a believer divine revelation. As though it was up to me to convince you of a truth and not trust and rest on the grace of the Holy Spirit to make his Bible known to his people. It's an injustice. And more than once, both John and myself have heard people say, people don't go for that anymore. Well, we are not just people. We're God's people. And we teach God's word. And people who love God will hunger and thirst for righteousness. If people don't want the hunger and thirst for righteousness, if they run away from the truth when it's preached, then they have to hear the gospel message of salvation over again. 
We make no apologies for the way we teach. We're unapologetic for how we teach and what we teach. And we're not to make people happy. We're here to call the sanctified people and make them holy. That's what it's about. And God rather rather have a holy saint that struggles in his life than a happy unbeliever going to hell. It's not about happiness. It's about holiness. And obeying God in the midst of the fire when no one's looking and you're walking in integrity because you've got a true fear of Almighty God. Revelation 20 as I just said, is a, is a, is a, this text is a courtroom drama. It's, it's non-fiction. Let me get that straight and foremost. It's non-fiction. It's the whole process of legal justice taking place right before us. This is truly divine jurisprudence at its best. There is a, a, great, a great white throne and someone sitting on that, on that great right throne, in all his sovereignty, his regal dignity, is almighty Jesus Christ. And he's sitting there with the full authority of heaven and earth behind him, of all divine nature. He has the power to give life or to cast into hell. And that's who's sitting on the throne. Court is in session. All humanity is represented by the great and the small, those who die in the sea, it's obscure, but what it means is those who had died in the sea 2,000 years ago were all forgotten about. They thought their souls were going to roam around forever and ever. Their disembodied souls and spirits would just roam around the spirit world because they died in the sea and didn't get a decent burial. But no, even those who died in the sea, even those who were burned alive and there's nothing left of them, they will stand before Almighty God. Those who were in death in Hades gave them up. They had a decent burial. These were people that died on terra firma. These were people that were put in caves and coffins and so on and so forth. They too will rise and stand at the great white throne. The books are open. It's the evidence of their deeds. And what are these deeds? It's just a representation of true faith or not. The great of the earth have nowhere to hide now. The great and the small. They have nowhere to hide there to show their small-mindedness as they stand in front of a higher court and before the great Supreme Court judge, Christ, who interprets the moral law perfectly, sees all things, knows all things. The small whom seem insignificant in this world now show their greatness. Their greatness by all their works done out of a grateful, obedient heart to Christ. The great and the small will be there. And anyone's name who is not found is thrown in a lake of fire. The book of life is the open evidence of God's acceptance of the worst of the worst sinner that has believed in Jesus Christ. Now, the jury scene is over. The evidence, the prosecuting attorney, it's all over. And like any criminal that ever stood before a judge, and I shared this last week, when uh, I sat on a court and there was a, a double rape of a just a, 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 a eight-year-old girl, a ten-year-old girl, two sisters, 
and, and the one end of it getting her pregnant, and, and, I, and I saw this DA, this little girl, in her element. If you saw her on the street, you'd, you'd think she should be on a surfboard, and, and she stood there with all the authority of the court behind her and the state behind her and condemned this man with all the evidence, stared him straight in the eye, toe to toe, and bring all the evidence and charges against him without any fear of any retaliation from this giant of a human being as she laid the Lord down. She was in her element. And the judge had no problem and the foreman uh, of the jury had no problem declaring the man guilty. They're in their element. If you see these people outside of the court, you'd walk by them and wouldn't think a thing. And so it is when men will stand before Christ. And they see him in his element, on his throne. Heaven and earth and everything familiar, everything that makes you feel comfortable. Your little teddy bears, the little blankies and their beers and this and their pride and their arrogance and their titles and their religion and their philosophy. It's all gone. Heaven and earth and everything familiar is gone and they stand before nothing but Christ. Nothing to hide behind. Nothing in their defense to stand there and to hear the evidence and then finally hear Christ unashamedly, without blinking, without flinching, and say, cast them into hell. They will hear those words. They will be there in a resurrected body. And they will feel the angel. They'll feel him getting pulled away. Into the lake of fire. And there they will be forever. As we said two weeks ago, the wheels of justice turn slowly, but they do turn. And in this nation, it's a saying, justice delayed is justice denied. But in God's course, justice delayed is never justice denied. I want to look a little more about this, what the Bible says about hell tonight. And and, and what does that mean for us as believers? I want to speak about it symbolically like the Bible does not experientially. And I also want to speak about the fairness of God. The fairness of God. How many have ever heard if we had a fair God, we all go where? Well, we all go to hell. (laughs) Uh, Pastor, speak to your wife. You don't want a fair God. If God was fair, none of us would be here. But let me tell you something. As I studied this out, there's one place you see God fair, and it's in hell. We'll get into the text later. But first, symbolically, I want to bring up some images the Bible uses on hell. And uh, the, the first one I want to go to, it, it, it's symbolically referred to in many, many different ways. There's, there's deep, deep darkness and there's, uh, there's fire, uh, you know what I mean? And they're mutually exclusive. You can't have dark, dark, and you can't have fire. So we can't take these symbols literally. They're not literal. Uh, we'll get behind that. It points to something even greater. Always remember the reality 
is, is always greater than the symbol. So if the symbol's horrible, oh God of the reality must be horrible. But listen to Jude chapter, Jude verse 7. If you can bring that up. Jude 7. This is an example. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, that's homosexuality, serve an example by undergoing a punishment. He calls it here eternal fire. He says in verse 13, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. These are, these are false teachers. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness, listen, has been reserved forever. It reminds me when Jesus was casting out the demon and the demon said, Oh, son of God, have you come to torment us before our time? Human beings walk around thinking they're sinning with impunity. Even the demons know God and they shudder. The demons know. There's a time of torment coming. They know it. Mankind walks around as though peace, peace. When there is no peace. Listen to Matthew chapter 8. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place they'll be weeping. And there'll be gnashing of teeth. And we get a picture. We get this, this picture of, it's not so much of pain. It's, it's, it's buyer's remorse. You've ever had buyer's remorse? You ever buy something and say, what a fool I've been. If I could only have done it. Does it sound familiar? Does this sound familiar? Who are you? What are five virgins? We were waiting for you, but we ran out of oil. Let us in. And what did the voice say? It's too late. The door has been closed. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Self-loathing. Self-hatred. For not believing. How about of destruction? Listen to 2 Thessalonians. I think I have the right scripture up there. Okay. I think I might have wrote this down wrong. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming flyer. Listen, is this the Jesus you know? Do you notice Jesus inflicting vengeance? Do you know him as Savior? Inflicting vengeance. Is this the God of television? Is this the Jesus of televangelists? inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord. There are two represented groups there. Those who do not know God and then there's ones that do confess Christ but they do not obey. (laughs) 
they will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his mind. That is abject, abject hopelessness. Even a terminally ill person in a hospice can still have hope. You can hear the gospel. You can still believe. You can still see a face. You can still feel a hand. You can still feel the the warmth of a loved one. But in this place, outside the presence of God, it's just hopelessness. That means that people will be there always knowing they belong there. Always hating, gnashing their teeth that they put themselves there. And always knowing they'll always remain there. No hope. Listen to 5.3. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. That's the culture we live in. Peace, peace. Oh, there's no such thing as God. There's, oh, Jesus loves you. There's no such thing as hell and everybody's going to heaven and it's peace and security. Listen, that's a preaching and teaching ministry we hear today. There's peace, peace, and there's security. And they don't realize there's sudden destruction right around the corner. And Luke 16, 23 calls it a place of torment talking about Lazarus and Abraham, and he says, in Hades, Jesus says, Lazarus being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. It was the rich man and Lazarus in torment. When you put it all together, every faculty of man, listen, don't take your thinking for granted. You've been created in the image of God. Don't take reasoning and intellect for granted. You've been created in the image of God. Don't take emotion and affection and hope and love for granted. You've been created in the image of God. Don't take social engagement and friendship for granted. You've been created in the image of the triune God. All these things, they will be in endless misery. Their mind, their thoughts, their affections, their reasoning will be in a constant state of of misery, their feeling, their body, everything will be in a constant state of endless misery. Words cannot describe what's represented in these symbols. The words cannot do it. I have to borrow a reality from Paul in 2 Corinthians. We all know it. <clears throat> For no eye has seen and no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has in store for those who love him. Let me rearrange the wording. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive the things that God has in store for those who disobey Christ. They don't know. They don't know the horror. 
Listen to J.I. Packer. We may be sure that the reality, which is beyond our comprehension and imagining, far exceeds the symbol in dreadfulness. This is conscient torment. All pride is vanquished. No hiding place for the sinner with his philosophies, his atheism, his religion, his high thoughts and opinions about himself. Can't inebriate him with his sin, intoxicate himself with his thoughts. The pride of the life, the lust of the eyes, it's all gone. Heaven and earth have passed away. There's no sea. There's no earth. There's no element they're familiar with. You ever get to see that show on TV? It boggles my mind how an American go to a foreign country and try to, uh, what's that? Uh, Bring in like drugs. Remember that movie? What was that movie? Uh, Midnight Express. That captures, you heard his heart beating. And you heard the heart beating. And you heard the heart. I won't watch the movie because of that. He's outside his element. And you know he's going to get caught. To stand before Christ is a horrible thing. But let me explain something. There's fairness with God. It's based on knowledge and privilege. The privilege of knowledge. Listen to how Luke 12 talks about it, starting in verse 41. And Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us, for all? For us or for all. Remember that. For us or for all. It really is for all. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household to give their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, Hmm, my master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and now he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act accordingly to his will will receive a severe beating. It's a picture of hell. But the one who did not know, everybody say, what will happen to him who did not know? And did what he deserved the beating will receive a light beating. That's God's fairness. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much is required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. The text has two applications. The first application is for all ministers. Is anybody who's ever proclaimed Jesus Christ to any extent. Okay? From his first coming, his resurrection, until his second coming. Those who knew Christ from the Bible but did not believe and were sinners on the inside and unconverted still, they're going to get it severely. It's a a, a morbid, horrible thought that there are people masquerading 
as Christian ministers who don't even know Christ. They're not even saved. They're not born again. The crowds are around them. The books are being sold. The stadiums are being filled. Their name is everywhere. And they're not even saved. Not even saved. They'll be severely treated. But he says something here unique. He says, those who do not. Well, those who do not has nothing to do with Christian teachers. This has to do with all people now. Is it for us, Peter said, or for all? He goes on to say, those who knew not can only be interpreted as all unbelievers who never knew gospel truth. Doesn't mean they're not guilty. They didn't know, they're not guilty of rejecting the gospel. They'll be treated more lightly in hell than people who have heard and rejected Christ. The privilege of hearing the gospel. Every time I preach, every time I speak to somebody about Christ and and their heart gets hardened. I don't know the final aspect. Everybody knows that, right? right? Only God knows. Only God knows. But understand something. They will be so responsible for the knowledge of salvation and then rejecting it. They'll be beaten severely. Someone who has never known Christ, but it was a, a sinner, no matter how bad, will not be treated as severely as a good person who heard but did not believe. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is not inexcusable. But it's taken into consideration by a fair God. Think about that. Ignorance is bliss. You can't excuse it. But God teaches us here that he takes it into consideration. And they'll be beaten lightly. That's the fairness of God. The punishment will fit the crime. And only God knows that. We don't. We don't know that. Only God does. For all those privileged to hear about salvation clearly and extensively and do not repent, it will be absolutely horrible. And worse than that, the Bible talks about a group of people who have accepted Christ and agreed on the terms of baptism and repentance and then turned away. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, that's that's the gospel, that's repentance, that's baptism, baptism, that's following Christ, that's what the knowledge of the truth is, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and the fury of fire that consumes the adversaries. He gives us an example. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. In the Old Testament, if two or three witnesses saw you doing something contrary to the law, you know what they did? Merciless, they stoned you to death. He goes like this now. If they would stone you to death just on two or three witnesses, how much worse punishment do you think? 
will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot. This is somebody who has believed and said, Jesus is Lord and said, I'm a sinner and I receive baptism and I repent and eat the body and the blood of the Lord. Listen, that's what this is. Someone who's trampled underfoot the Son of God is a profane the blood of the covenant which once sanctified him and set them apart from sinners and has outraged the spirit of grace. How much worse punishment? He goes on to say, for we know him who said vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Why don't we hear this teaching today? Why are ministers running away from this reality? Why can't God defend himself? Why are people deleting God's message from God's book? Why are God's people don't realize who saved us and what we're saved from? How dare anybody do what Jesus says not to do if anybody takes one thing out or adds anything to this revelation, he will receive the plagues that are within it. It is beyond my imagination how someone can read the book and delete the truth. You know what's interesting about the book of Hebrews? The book of Hebrews is one of the warmest books in the Bible. It elevates Christ in all his glorified humanity as the sympathetic and merciful who can sympathize with all our weaknesses. Why? Because he himself was what? In all things. But intermittently throughout the book of Hebrews there are six exhortations. The one we just read. Don't mess around with the sympathetic and merciful high priest. Don't take him for granted. Don't trample underfoot his precious blood. Don't mock the spirit of grace. Do not do it. It scares me as a pastor. I see people come into my mind as I'm preparing messages, as I'm meditating on this for three weeks now. I'm like, oh God, no. I prayed with him. We said the sinners, I baptized him. I baptized his wife. I dedicated their children. I, oh God, please, on my face I cry out, bring them home if they're yours, God. Don't let them. We think, oh, they're just backslidden. We think, oh, they're just, you know, they're just going through a time. No, God don't think that. He doesn't think that. We shouldn't think that. It's not innocent when someone has accepted. It's not innocent when people say I am, but they live a different contrary life. It's not innocent. It's not innocent. I'll close with an application one verse of scripture. I read it last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 weeks ago, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Listen how Paul took this all in, this, this, this whole thing we spoke about. This is how Paul reconciled it in his own life. Paul says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 
Therefore, he says, because he knows this, listen to this. Here's his line, it's a line of reasoning. This is apostolic reasoning. Listen. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, being when he says that, therefore, knowing that we all appear before the judgment seat and, and many aren't saved, that's what he's saying. We persuade others. I'll leave it there. Otherwise, I'd have to explain the rest of it. But therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, that they have to stand before this consuming fire, we make it our life's ambition to persuade others that God was pleading through us, be reconciled unto God. How do we just go home and have dinner? How, how, do, how do we just go home and just eat? How do we just go, uh, 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 I'm going to tee it up tomorrow. And how, how do we, listen, we got our life. I can't live in this reality 24-7. I, I die. I couldn't make it. I, I couldn't. I don't have time. I'll develop it more next week. But in all the major texts that talk about hell, guess what's next to an invitation to salvation. How good is God? Every major text that talks about the love of God, everyone, talks about the wrath of God. Most people only speak about one and not the other. We'll look at these texts next week and to try to get understand how we reconcile these two things. Are you with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. When we sing about our salvation, we were truly saved from the wrath of God. Being justified by faith through Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, O God, that you demonstrated your love for us at Calvary and you poured out your love into the the Holy Spirit into our hearts, Father God. You demonstrated your awesome love that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you, Father God. And we understand, Father God, that the truth we just read is exactly that. It is truth. And God, I pray that we too somehow can be used as ambassadors of reconciliation. That somehow our whole life can be, come ye to God and be reconciled. Come and be, I pray God that all of us have a change of heart. I pray all of us don't look at the world as them against us. No, God. I pray that we look at them with solidarity and empathy, and sympathy, that by the grace of God, there walk I. God, I pray that our hearts are wide open as Paul's heart was wide open, that we become all things that all men, so that some might be saved. In Jesus' name.